I think it was the theologians who first started the idea, later the philosophers took it over, and now some of the scientists are doing the same. What you are comes out in what you do. You see the point? Out of ourselves and into Christ, we must go. This is Chats Under the Sun with Jacob Volk. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Shall we start this? <laughs> I literally got a free printer that way. Really? Uh, yeah, they ordered a new one. They're just like, well, okay, we are recording. Okay. We're, we're rock and rolling. Printers right. because Owen got paper. He's a paper copy, whereas we have like literal pie sh- pie charts embedded in our Google Docs in order to to uh, do a breakdown here. Yeah, I don't have pie charts. I'm you sorry, can guys. Me for that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jamichael had the uh, pie chart idea. Boys, books. We're talking about them. Yeah. All right. So we're, this boys, is books. <laughs> Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> so. <laughs> We have two. We have two mics here. Uh, so if you if you want to talk, don't hesitate to to grab the mic and callously rip it away from my face. New mics. I haven't worked with these mics oh, before. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a new setup. Yeah. Kind of nice, eh? Kind of they, They're very nice. They look. They look so high tech. They do. Um. All right. So, uh, do each of you boys have? I'm with um Jamichael and Owen. By the way, that should be pretty obvious based off of the title and stuff. Yeah. So, I feel like if at this point, which is listening to it, they already know what they're in for. Yeah, exactly. So, do you guys want to um, have some? I don't know. Preliminary thoughts. Preliminary thoughts. I have a little bit of a a thought process on why I read. Do you have you guys thought about that? I think we we kind of had a discussion about this. But if you guys want to talk a little bit about your philosophy of reading, why you read, and, and why you choose the books you choose, and then we can dive into our list. How does that sound? It sounds amazing. And obviously, what we're doing here is we're going to be going through our book lists for the year. Last year. Last year, rather. Yeah, for 2021. And we're going to be talking about all the different books we read. And I feel like inevitably we're going to be talking about why we read certain books and why our percentages are in one area or another. So like, may as well kind of get that out right at the hop. Cool, cool. Um, Owen, do you want to go first? Why do you, why do you read books, Owen? Why do I read books? Uh, so... A couple different reasons. I think those different reasons are going to become apparent, like John Michael said, as we're going through our list. Mm. Um, the The pursuit of knowledge is kind of obviously there. Um, I also think that, I don't know, I can do without reading, which is kind mm. of, uh, yeah. I don't read like compulsively. Like I can go for a couple weeks and I haven't read a book and it doesn't bother me at all. Are you consuming other information? Not necessarily. No, you can just not... I can I can literally chill on it. I I read because I really want to read that particular thing. Okay, and or I see something I'm like, oh, I, I want to read that. That looks interesting to me. But then if I go for a couple weeks without being like inspired like that, I won't read anything. Interesting. That's very different for me. I feel like a compulsive need to put information in my brain. I, I feel discontent if I'm not throwing mm. stuff in there. <laughs> compulsive needs. Yeah. Compulsive. <laughs> oh my goodness, Jamichael, you do something. Um. I actually have, like have a story for when I like intentionally like said now is the point that I'm going to start reading. I don't know if I've ever told you this. Yeah. Um, so I went to Colombia for three months on a mission trip, and that was I learned a lot f- for a lot of reasons on that trip. But one of the things that I realized at that point was I was reading like a book or two a year, and at that point I was just kind of like just getting into the zone of like seeing the value of reading, seeing why learn, being a lifelong learner, uh, why biographies, why theology, all these different things are really important just to be making as a discipline. Um, 
so when I was in Columbia, I had a bunch more time. And that was where I was like, I can't even sit down for half an hour disciplinedly to read. So I was like, I'm going to book off 15 minutes where I have to lock off everything else in my life and pick a book and read for those 15 minutes. And I'll just do that every single day while I'm here. And if the 15 minutes becomes easy and starts feeling like a little bit of time, then I'll bump it up to 20 minutes and just start like adding five minutes, five minutes on top of that. And like, I was very, very rigid on it has to do, I have to do 15 minutes every day. Um, and I'm like not nearly as disciplined with it now, but I do like quite a bit more reading than I did back then. So, sorry. So we're sharing this mic. So like Jake and I both go for it at the same time. Anyway, that's like, that's, that's so different from mine. Like mine is not the consequence of discipline at all. I read without discipline, which is, which is so like, it's just radically different from what you just described. I don't have time allotted. I don't think about it in that way at all. I really just read when something strikes me. That would be a, that'd be a thing I'd like to have read. And I, or another thing too, and this is another thing, and Jacob and I talked about this just recently, actually, um, is the idea that when you want to understand a thing on a level that you can discuss it, there is value in having read a book about it. Yes. Right. And this is a big deal. So for me, and and the more you read, the more this becomes true. The more it's like, okay, reading the Wikipedia article doesn't count. You know what I mean? Like, but no, like, like, and reading the Wikipedia article allows you to like listen to the conversation, right? I don't want to diss anyone who's only got a Wikipedia level knowledge about a subject, but once you've read a book or two or three on a subject, all of a sudden you just realize there's so much more to know about this. And I don't know very much, but now I know what the terms are of the conversation. And so when I find a subject where I'm like, man, I'd like to be able to talk about that. Or I hear a right. conversation, I'm like, well, I wish I was in that conversation. I've started to not get in the conversation if I haven't read a book. <laughs> and I have started to be like, I want to be in that conversation. So I'm going to read a book. I actually think that played into the reason to wanting to be disciplined about it. Because I was like, there are things that I want to speak on, but I'm like only just, I mean, ironically, the more books I read on topic, the more I realize that I don't know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. <laughs> on more of them. So I feel like the Wikipedia thing is kind of like the spot I would want to go to, even like in the back of a book, uh, looking for other resources to be like, wait a second, I don't know what I'm talking about at this at all. And where can I go to find more resources? Yeah. Who's the person I need to read on this? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've pretty firmly maintained that I will not have a s- serious conversation about a topic if I have not read a book on it. So I almost exclusively don't talk about economics with people, like people in economics discussions, for example, because um, I've read one economics textbook and it firmly convinced me to shut my mouth on economics because it is so incredibly complicated and I genuinely don't understand. So the irony is, is I've read more economics textbooks than most people have and I'm genuinely firmly convinced I don't understand global local economics well at all all not even a little bit because the book i read uh thomas sowell's basic economics okay yeah, yeah. one of his things that he really wanted to carefully walk people through is how complex each of the variable like the various variables that go into any decision is mm-hmm. and once you understand how complicated they are those variables are you can you should be able to take a step back and go yeah. okay maybe i'm not going to just say oh liberals are this and this because they spend this and this well maybe you know right right, right. And you want, you want to be competent on the subject you discuss. Exactly. Um, and then that kind of goes into a little bit, sort of my, um, my philosophy of reading is that I genuinely feel a moral obligation to read. Huh. So I 
I think that part of being a good friend, a good um, boyfriend, husband, man, Christian, all of those things, I believe, for myself at least, that an element of being all those things is someone who's well-informed, someone who understands, can can speak well on something. And, and that just goes for everything. If I want to be like helping someone going through something that's tough, reading a couple books around that issue will allow me to do that better. And then I, I, I believe that God's given me a an ability to consume information, and then I need to be able to learn in proportion with the abilities God given has given me. Does that make sense? It does. I I, I almost want to not necessarily challenge, but just hmm. tease tease that that idea of the moral obligation yeah, yeah. to read a little bit. First of all, obviously we know there's lots of people in the world who can't read for sure, right? And there's and for lots of reasons. It might be socioeconomic. It might be they literally are like mega dyslexic and reading's not on the table. Yep, for right? Sure. Whatever the situation is. Um, are you, when you say this is a moral obligation, are you saying because you've been given the privilege of being Absolutely. able to read and because of the circles you're in and, and the kind of mind you've been yep. given, it is therefore your moral obligation. It is, yeah, and that's my moral obligation. Perhaps you would way. stretch that so far as if you have like gifts, you should consider the possibility that it's yours as well. Yeah. And, and this, a, a little bit of that, I actually think like for me, reading and working out are actually very similar. I feel again a moral obligation to keep myself in shape, um, to be fit. Moral, uh, like like a, a level of moral obligation, and then the analogy gets pushed really far and, and still makes sense. Is I also work out to look good, and I also read books to look good. So mm. they, uh, <laughs> they hit pretty well. It, 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 everything can get compromised. <laughs> Arrogant man. <laughs> well, no, it's true. No, I, and I want that to be a bit self-deprecating because there's an element to there is a huge element to learning and knowledge that is hubristic right that is like with much wisdom with much gathering of knowledge with many books there is you know there's dangers there hmm. and so I, and I, i'm aware like you know everyone knows that smart person we have been that smart person that pulls out the book and is like oh yes of course you're reading aren't you intelligent you know what i mean right so why do you use the word moral then instead of like you you like highly value or you see as very important why would you use moral obligation because i believe that i would be with my circumstances with the opportunities i have the brain i've been given the headspace that i have which is a big one too like i legitimately a big part of the reason i'm able to read so much is that i'm not burdened with some of the mental struggles that other people have so for me before god if i didn't read at about the level that i read i think god would say I've given resources for you and you're not taking advantage of those resources. And so you're, I'm not living up to the potential that God set before me. Okay. And it's nebulous, right? It's not 60 books that I'm, God's happy with me or 40 books. God's happy with me. That That's not what I'm saying. But sure. if I, if I neglected the opportunity to learn about the creation God's made to understand people with resources he's given me right. to gain wider perspective, insights into people's stories, all the things, the well-rounded things if I neglected that, I think I would be failing before God. So I, I get that on the level that we don't want to be the servant with the talent who sat on it and didn't invest. Yeah, it that's very much in, it, right? Um, but then on the, the the flip side of it, though, I'd be like, okay, I don't know if I would necessarily say there's a moral obligation to do the thing that you're able to do. So, like for instance, like he's giving you all this these gifts and opportunity. You could also conversely say you should be devoting as much time as possible to travel right now. You're single. You're not 
you know, you, you have that ability. You're not tied down by anything, practically speaking. Why are you not traveling all over the world, right? There'd be lots of learning there. There'd be lots of connection with people. You'd understand God's creation and God's people a lot better. And so I do think that there are specific callings, even within ability, right? For instance, right now, because you're going to seminary, right? Like there's, there's a legitimate calling that you're pursuing that takes priority. Like the ability to do something and being able to identify that it would be a good thing to do doesn't necessarily mean that you're under a moral obligation to do it. Which, which is why I, th- I feel like I can see where you're coming from as someone who wants to be a leader, a discipler, it, like, someone who comes alongside someone else, you want to be equipped. And because you want to be there and are there in some ways, you have a responsibility to do that well hmm. and to be equipped well. And I feel like that's why I love J.D. Greer's, I think, it was, I think he was, I don't know if he's the first guy to say it, but leaders are readers. And just as a general truth, I do think that's true. That if you if you want to step into a place of leadership, um, it, especially in a church context, inevitably you will be pushed to read more. Oh yeah, I, I would agree with that absolutely. And if you're yeah. wanting to get into that church con- or any leadership position, quite honestly, and skip the obligation to be yourself, working out intellectually or working out in the ways that are relevant to the duty you're taking on and and be able to lead people, then you're being negligent. Yeah. And maybe that's a better way of framing it is as a direct result of the places that I feel God's called me to, I believe I have a a moral obligation before God on a personal level. That makes perfect sense to to be able to equip myself properly. And conversely, I think it is phenomenally, and this is just, even if you just narrow this down to a simple seminary thing, it'd be phenomenally arrogant for me to pretend that I could be a pastor and just not read the books that they assign me at seminary. Like they're, they're for a reason for me to like, and and (laughs) intellectual knowledge is only one and not even high on the list of necessary qualifications for almost any of the things we could talk about, pastor, husband, father, boyfriend, brother, Right. right? They're integrity like there's so many things that rank higher than just pure knowledge gathering, but the insights, the wisdom, the, the stories, the factual information that you get from reading high quality books allows you to get tools in your belt to deal with some of the complex challenges that come with positions of leadership, positions of authority. And, and then, but then I would even say like, if you're a husband, your life is complex. There's like relational marriage, children, leadership in that capacity. I would say within your ability, I believe you have a moral obligation to gather information that will allow you to do that better. And a lot of that information, frankly, comes in the form of awesome books that have been written on the topic. And even if you're neither husband nor father nor any kind of leader, I think if you're listening to this, you'd be surprised how much how limited you are, how much better rounded you would be if you started reading a good cross section of books. Mm. Like it really rounds the man. Um, and I, or I don't, woman. I, or woman, sorry, sorry. We're, we're the lads sitting here. So, that, <laughs> uh, but it really does. And I guess the, the only caveat that I want to tag on the end of this, and that would conclude my thoughts on reading broadly speaking is, is that there's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Right. And so, <laughs> absolutely. And you already touched on the fact that there's hubris in this and that we don't want to be flexing our books, right? We don't want to be arrogant in any way. But um, there's a big difference between having a lot of knowledge and having any wisdom or understanding or application whatsoever. Yep. Um, The only tag on while we're on this that I want to add is we've got pretty sizable book lists. We, We... 
the between the three of us, we managed to crush a lot of books this year. I don't want, I don't really know how to say this well, but I do not want to in any way say that the books that we've read, like, or the number of books or type of books are the standard by which people should oh read. Oh my goodness, no. At all. Not even a little <laughs> bit. Because there's a, there's a whole lot of, like, I knocked out 54 books this year. Of all different. Some of them were very easy to read and tons of fun, like the Harry Potter series. And some of them were dense. Like, I finished Calvin's Institutes this year. And so it's like, <laughs> and so it's like, there's, but the, what went into me being able to do that are a whole host of factors that are just different for different people. And I'm a really big, I really believe that, like, if you're saying, if you're like, let's say you, for whatever reason, are convicted that you should read more. I think that's an honest that you have to look at yourself and say, what am I able to do? What was, what's good for me? And for, if you can knock out a book of month and of, of high quality reading material, that's stellar. That is awesome. Cause who knows what reasons led you to that number and, and your, that ability. But I'm just, I'm worried sometimes like when I'm, and also there are people, there are people I know who have knocked out twice as much books as, as any of us have done this year. Right. Good for them, right. right. So it's like, there aren't, I don't want to, I don't want to come across in any way like this is this, these are the definitive way you read books or why you read books or number of books, et cetera. I feel like that gets to what you were saying, Owen, about like wisdom versus just knowledge. Because I, I think as I read that that's one of the goals I made this year was to pray every time I open up a book. Like, there's no way I'm going to actually be able to go through with that. But I just wanted to make that a discipline of when I open a book, I'm not just in this to get some raw knowledge in my brain. Like, I'm generally trying to read uh, to change me. Mm-hmm. And like, or for the, at least to have the information change the way I see the world. Whether it's a theology book or just like, you know, information book. I don't want to just have that information go into my head. So the like small way that I want to try at least to make it a discipline is to like literally ask God every time I open up a book, show me what I need to be learning from this. Help me to, you know, listen to this with discernment and, and read this so that it's changing my heart, not just my head. Right. Yeah. Um, really good. One thing I want to do real quick, this is really stupid of me. Um, introduce yourselves like with your voice because there might be a few people most of the people knowing will have know you from your voice from podcasts know you from yours but for anyone who hasn't caught up owen do you want to say a couple things because you're owen yeah absolutely so my name's owen and yeah while we're identifying my voice the the one thing if you if we want to make sure that we're not making numbers of books the standard Mm. right because there might be a mom of four kids or something like that who's like totally man i can't get books in right she's reading that one book a month and she might listen to this and feel like it's a guilt trip for her, right? The tailor at my work, an older woman who has not, I did not talk about putting on her podcast. I'm not going to name her, but she reads one book every day. Whoa. Now they're almost all murder mysteries, but she reads one murder mystery a day. So she reads 365 books a year and they're full size books. My goodness. Like religiously she reads in the time I've known her, she's read well over a thousand books. Wow. That's actually crazy. Yeah. I do not have a cool fact like that, but my name is uh, uh, John Michael Bout, and this is my voice, and random fact about me, I'm married, and I have my first child on the way. Nice. Uh, that first child is in the room with us, also your wife, who... Still in the womb. Looking Still beautiful. Womb. Yeah. Yes. I, I assume the first child is looking nice. Um, the wife is looking wonderful, but also, and Jesse, Jesse Bout is here as well. 
Um, and one thing I do want to say is I could have done this reading list thing with a number of people and Jesse being one of them. Uh, it just, he's just shafted because he's a musician. That's all I really care about him for podcast content. So (laughs) (laughs) no, Jesse, Jesse reads a lot. Um, and there's a lot of other friends I could have done this with too, but you guys are the ones that came first to my mind. So, and also I can't duplicate this over because it'll just be my books over again. So, um, one last thing I want to quickly ask before we dive into like number one, uh, on our each of our list, what we read first this year is how do you guys choose the books that you read? And I'll I'll go first with this, I guess, while you guys chew on that. It's genuinely all over the place why I read why I read. Some of them are just purely I finish a book and go, huh, I feel like I'll do this next, and then I do it. Same. Sometimes uh, they're the school assigns it to me. So I read that other times it's like, okay, this is a topic I've been interested in for a while. And I just kind of always, I'm always reading more. So there's a couple of books on, on racism um, and just the history, the culture of that, that I'm always just learning about. Um, I learn a lot about plants and what they do to you. Um, I learn, you know, there's just, and then some topics like, for example, I had to deal with the topic of hell. So I read um, four views on hell recently because you know, that came up in situation uh, and then often I'll look and say, okay, I haven't read a biography in a while. Might as well read a biography. But honestly, there's not very much thought that goes into this. I just see what kind of needs to be in my head at the moment, give it a read. And then I've gotten into the discipline of reading very regularly, both audiobooks and... Um, yeah, I guess we're all doing audiobooks, right? Is, is, yeah, audiobooks is reading. 100% let's it just, is. Let's just get that but out But we're all doing audiobooks, right? Oh, so about 15, no, 17 of my 54 books this year were paper the rest were all audio huh i i i'd listen to audio constantly same i feel like it'd be interesting as we go through the books to just say like obviously title of the book um mm. who wrote it and then was it paper or was it audio i just feel like that'd be interesting because yeah. i'm kind of curious to because sometimes actually i have notes because it was an audiobook like right. it was really well read or this was interesting to read because it's an audio book oh, interesting yeah. because i never do notes for audiobooks the only books that i have extensive notes on and i almost always have extensive notes on the ones that i read in paper are ones that are paper because i can sit down with my phone and yeah. the copy at the same time right um so yeah that's that's why that's how i choose my books you guys what, what do you think uh, much the same jake um, I, I think it like inevitably it kind of ends up being the same as you guys, but at the beginning of the year, I wanted to read, actually, there's a few genres that I love. I love fantasy, but I wanted to limit it, not because fantasy isn't great for you and like lots of things I could acclaim about that genre, but i I know that I could basically make that all I consumed really, really easily. So I kind of had it, uh, I want to keep it to 15% on fantasy and then try to hit like 50% Christian living theology. Bible, John Michael, I Bible read stuff. almost no fantasy this last year. Oh my. Yeah. Okay. This is interesting. So while we're, while we're in this space, um, we have on Google docs, um, pie charts that we did to break down the genres. <laughs> I'm so ashamed. I have no pie charts. I literally have one piece of paper with like, I did like a couple little, little right. notes about so before we mercilessly shame you for your lack of data analysis do you want to give us what your what your genre breakdown little, is so i i i read 41 books um noise total distinct authors including co-authoring uh was 35 um oh that's interesting oh that's a cool uh then it was almost half and half fiction and non-fiction Almost half and half, although a lot of the fiction was like, Thus Big Zarathustra is technically fiction. But that's like a philosophical... But exactly. Yeah. Same with like a lot of like... So I also read 
some other stuff that was, we'll get into it, but that was really barely fiction. It was discussing broader philosophical ideas through the metaphors of like mm. allegorical fiction. So I'm going through some of these going, I mean, like you can call that <coughs> fiction, I guess, right? Right. But, but it was 22 fiction, uh, 19 nonfiction. Huh. So it's almost 50-50 That's on cool. fiction versus nonfiction. Um, C.S. Lewis. So I went through for like the, the authors that I read multiple books by that author. C.S. Lewis was at the top of it. Read five C.S. Lewis last year. Um, P.G. Woodhouse. Read three, G.K. Chesterton. Read two G.K. Chesterton. I thought nice. I thought I wrote I thought I read more G.K. Chesterton, but apparently not. And then I read a couple of Kipling's as well. Uh, also, my book list. I'm 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 shamed in every respect. I've got the least number of books here. I don't have pie charts, um, and I don't keep a book diary. So when oh. Jacob and John Michael suggested that we do this podcast, I was like, hold the line. I need to figure out what books I read in the last year. I feel like you probably might actually be beating us and you just like forgot 10 or 20 books. Like, I, I don't know. I may have forgotten a lot of books. And one of the big things for me too is that I'm not sure because there's books that are like, I was reading that around the beginning of the last year. Was that, was that not? So I left out a couple that were like right on the cusp right. of 2020, 2021. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think I got, I think I got them all. No matter what, this is like the vast majority. I, I may have missed one or two. I don't think I missed much. Just before starting, I was like kind of, looking through the list and Jake mentioned, happened to mention one book that I had also read that I didn't have in my list. So I'm like, I don't know. Boom. We probably all have forgotten stuff. <laughs> oh man. Oh, um, so that means that the book, re- order in which I'm reading these are not the order in which I read them. Are yours in the order in which you read them? Yeah. I also have month, uh, like how many I read per month. Just, I was really curious because I'd set a goal at the beginning of the year. Okay. I will read, yeah, four books a month. Okay. And I want to see, am you I falling behind? more or? than that. Yeah, you got a lot more than that. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a good year. <laughs> good man. <laughs> so, and and we're gonna like for any of you guys who don't know, we're gonna rip on each other constantly throughout this podcast. We all love each other. We're all smart dudes. Blah 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 blah. Anyway, yeah. Well, okay. um, well, but on that, so like you read was it this year that you read the Spake Zarathustra? I'm putting that in this year. Sure, heck, that book. I tried to read it. Like that's actually the top. That's the first one on my list. Okay, yeah, that was a dense, so, dense book. We'll get there in a moment. All right, I actually quite enjoyed it. Okay, cool. Because like, we're so, and this is gonna be hard too. Because it's like I read fifty four books. Seven of them were the Harry Potter series. Okay. So they're long, but I destroyed them because they're effortlessly to read. Effortless to read. No, effortless to read. Were they audiobooks? Yeah, yeah. Who read them? Oh man, was it Stephen oh, Fry? It was Stephen. Was Fry. it Stephen Fry? Was Stephen Fry. <laughs> that man, that, that guy can read oh, anything to dude. me. Well, I don't care what he reads. He can read a recipe you book can read to a me. Cookbook. Yeah, like I, we just went for the same thing there. That's. But I, actually, though, I I love that guy as a voice actor. Oh, dude. You know, I got to meet him. Why? Yeah, no. back back when I worked in restaurants, I actually got to serve him a salad. He he had a salad, bro. He had a salad. Well, this is and I was standing that. there at the table while he's talking to these two theater director guys, and as I'm just standing there waiting to take their order. And he's like, "Oh, now we've been talking so much, and here's this very fine young gentleman trying to take Ooh. our order. I'm so sorry, sir." And it was just the sweetest little moment. And I'm like, "I mean, you're just like I hoped you would be." Anyway, he's actually like an absolutely fantastic guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, man, I'm yeah. jealous. That's so cool. <laughs> he, uh, I also just finished Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and he read that too. Oh, so good. Love that. Douglas oh, Adams. So good. I have um, not read that in a long time. Yeah. So for me, my breakdown is um, it was hard because classics and fiction kind of blended to me. Like, is Lord of the Rings a classic? Like, yeah. It's also fiction. It's also fiction. And then it's like, well, and then you're like, Frankenstein is fiction mm-hmm. and it's a classic though. So I kind of blurred You them, made but- a distinction between classics and fiction? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 
Because I had Lord of the Rings. I mean, sorry, I had Harry Potter. That's not a classic. No, but it, but that's fantasy. See, for me, I would be like, there's, there's subsets of fiction. Okay. Right. Yes. Yes. They're all. It's all fiction, right? There's fiction, right. nonfiction. Yeah, Everything yeah. else is. Uh, that's why I only do like one breakdown: fiction, nonfiction. Yeah. So my biggest, um, I fic, fiction, fiction general was my biggest category at twenty five point five percent. Um, again, theology, and then classics was fourteen point five percent. We would just say the whole number fourteen percent. Um, and again, those those blurred. Uh, Christian living in theology blurred for me a lot too. Um, so there'd be something like Christian living involves theology. It does. Yeah. It does. Amen. But also there's some that are like I mean, the institutes isn't Christian living. That's theology. So some of them were pretty solid. Either way, so theology was eighteen percent. Christian living was fourteen percent. So kind of those four categories took up the vast majority of my reading. Um, I read five percent biographies. 9% self-help, which was a couple of really great books, 5% history, and then 7.5% other. So that's kind of my rough breakdown. Interesting. Were there any classics that were not also fiction? No. Okay, cool. So we, we could amalgamate fiction and classics for one broader category of, like of classic and non-classic fiction? Yeah. Cool. Yep. Yeah, I um, I don't think so. Maybe we'll go into Maybe we'll find something that's a classic. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like, actually, I would have... I didn't finish Augustine's Confessions, but I guess that would be a classic work. That'd be a biography. It'd be actually. a classic that's not... It'd be a classic biography, nonfiction. Yeah, so cool. There's there's stuff. So that's roughly my breakdown, and pretty soon we should jump into the actual books. Yeah, I'm, I'm so looking forward to the list now that we've got all this preambled. Yes. Okay, so very quickly, I had 3.1 as just general books. I didn't even know where to put them. It was like, I didn't want to like give them a category and then have to give three different categories for the different like one-off books. Um, classics was 29.2%. History, 3.1. Fantasy, 18.5. And theology, 44.6. So I didn't make the distinction you did okay. about theology and Christian living. I just lumped those together. But yeah, that's my breakdown. Cool. If it's about Jesus, you checked it in that quadrant. Noise. All right. Should we do this? Let's get into the first book we read this year. And let's kick it off with Owen. Well, we already mentioned it, right? Yeah. Thus spake Zarathustra, or spoke Zarathustra. Depending on the, which cover you picked. All right. Uh, audio? Uh, yes, audio. Crazy, audio. man. Uh, pretty good. Uh, I would have to, like, I want to clarify, as much as I thought it was interesting, I would definitely have to go for that probably one or two more times before I could say I had a confident grasp of it. Um, it was definitely... Uh, Nietzsche, for anyone who's wondering. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Friedrich Nietzsche. Uh, audio. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was interesting. I actually I was glad I listened to it. Maybe you want to listen to more Nietzsche. Um... Yeah. Cool. Uh, Tentative, uh, not really recommend. This is the recommend thing is so hard, but the recommend thing stuff. I, I went to the, like, am I going to put like, f like a f one out of five stars kind of like it's rating impossible. system? I was like impossible with this yeah. list. Just especially when I'm like, this is really good within its category or this is really good for this reason. Right. No. So with, with Zethaspic Zarathustra, Nietzsche is super, super wrong about a lot of stuff. Like he, he is fundamentally unsound about a lot of stuff. And one of the interesting things that I find, especially as I'm like online and I'm, I'm checking out like articles, like he is one of the most like stoutly defended individuals mm. when it comes to like, like, I mean, the moment you're like, hey, he says some pretty radically unfriendly stuff. People will be like, oh, I mean, that was probably his sister editing it though. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like the people make excuses for him mm. all day, all night. You'll be like, man, he says some, obscenely sexist stuff okay thus makes Zarathustra there's this one scene where he like gives his quick little rundown on women and it is 
it, it chilled me. I was, I was driving a truck huh. and I was just like, that is really like systematically disrespecting women. And at the same time though, you bring this up, like you go on, you'll find some article where they're like, ah, oh, yes, but he thought women should have more education. I'm like, yeah, that was doesn't this, change what he said though. Was like, this in the context of like the sexist guy was the Ubermensch, the Overman? This was in the context of him revealing a secret to the reader, which is, it was very weird the way he did it. Okay. Um, you obviously, you don't have the Ubermensch as a character. Right. In Thus Big Zarathustra. Okay. Which is um, an interesting dynamic. So Nietzsche definitely does not put himself up as the Ubermensch. Okay. He yeah. sees a distinction there. He also doesn't put Zarathustra up quite as the Ubermensch. It's it's complicated. Okay. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll probably find that if I ever read it. And one, but there is this this dynamic where Zarathustra is supposed to be almost the John the Baptist to the Ubermensch. Mm. So he's he's paving the way. So I like I like that you started this off because it actually gives us an opportunity to say like <sighs> nothing we say is a recommend of any of these books unless we explicitly I will say, say so. I will say some of these are recommends once I get to them. Right, once we get to them, <laughs> but it, not implicitly. Right, the fact that we read stuff we disagree with, we read stuff that we think is brilliant but very flawed. Yeah, the process of learning requires you to grapple with people who you don't like, don't respect, but have something interesting to say. And, yeah. and Nietzsche definitely has interesting stuff to say. Yep. But and that's good to say. Just because we have these on our list does not mean run out and buy that, especially some of these things are going to be age sensitive. Oh, I'm going to mention that as I go as well. Yeah. yeah. So and honestly, I, I say this a couple times. If you are under the age of 18 and you're listening to this, first of all, thank you. Second of all, genuinely, I really, really, really mean this. This isn't just me being like, eh, trying to cover my butt. I really mean this. Ask your parents. Talk to your parents about what you read. If yep. you're inter- if you hear something and it captivates you of what the, some of the books we've read, and you're a bit younger, that's cool. I'm stoked you're reading, but please go chat with your parents and tell them I'm interested in, in learning. I'm interested in reading. They recommended this book potentially, and talk about it. It it, it really does matter. Yep, couldn't agree more. Uh, and that, that that that's enough. We can't go super deep, so I can't no, go no. like my goodness, <laughs> Nietzsche. I could spend a lot of time on, but we're yeah. we obviously can't do that we'll, level with every book. We got this is already going to be a two parter for sure. Yeah, um, and even as it is, maybe a three parter. We'll, we'll see. Uh, first book that I read uh, of this year was is actually a book I finished. I had started a long time ago. Pan's Ram by Thomas Gladys and James Long. It is the biography of one of the most prolific mass murderers and serial rapists in. Uh, in North America during the turn of the century. Um, absolutely chilling, terrifying book because oh. it contains a lot of his own writing and his own musings. Like the actual, they got a lot of letters from Carl Panzram. It goes through his life. Um, I read it as a study in, what's really interesting about him is he was 100% lucid. He knew he was awful. He knew he was a horrible human being. He made almost no apology for it. And he wanted him. He wanted to kill himself, and he he said, "I I he want, took a hundred percent ownership of everything he did." And it's it is not a recommend on almost any uh, reasons. Don't don't read it. But it was interesting to kind of come to grips with someone who's a pretty through and through Calvinist, uh, like on the total depravity side, but didn't acknowledge God in the slightest. Right. So. He he, hundred percent believed he deserved hell, and didn't care. Is is a and so a lot of his and then what's really interesting is the one bit of compassion he did have is, is kind of goes through the book. But yeah, Pan's Red, the story of it's just the very gross. It's a very horrific book, but right. 
it's it was interesting. Yeah. I don't intend to ever read it again. Uh, my first book of the year was Dracula by Bram Stoker. Did we all start with dark books? <laughs> <laughs> Clearly we did. Uh, okay, but this is such a good story. Like, this is the original story of where all of, like, the vampire stuff comes from. And it's just, I, I listened to it. This was an audiobook one. And they had different readers for the different characters. And, like, it wasn't actually great readers. But as far as making the story come alive, it was just really, really good. So I actually listened to this one with Jess, my wife, and it was a good time. Def, I would, I would recommend, though I'd say it's creepy. So, yeah, take it as you will. Started Dracula this year, didn't finish it. Same. Really? Je- Jesse's intro. He hasn't read Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> I read half. I don't know. I just didn't, didn't, I didn't, I didn't finish it. It's such a good book. I've never read it. I, I would recommend it, especially oh, if you like... Oh, and that's another thing. We have to make sure we tell, say, when we've re- also read the books yeah. that we're reading. Yeah. Right. I like that. Yeah. Uh, haven't read... I've read, again, I got a little bit into The Spake, and then I was like, I'm, I can't do this. Okay. Second book. Give it another try. Um, the Island of Dr. Moreau um, by H.G. Wells. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I like you both of them. Ooh. Um, have you guys read this? No. Nope. No. Okay. I, I listened to the audiobook for this. Um, it's by H.G. Wells, the classic science fiction writer. And I actually, it is my favorite H.G. Wells. I have read Whoa. a lot of H.G. Wells. It is my favorite H.G. Wells. I read it for the first time. And what was really interesting is I read it right after The Spake Zarathustra. And I, in my notes on it, I actually have quite a few notes on uh, Dr. Moreau. But I refer to it as being the Narnia for nihilists, and it it is it is it is allegorical, um, and he, he he's basically offering you an allegorical story, in which Nietzsche's sort of thus spake Zarathustra has truth, and so it's so interesting being in this and having thus spake Zarathustra fresh in my mind, then reading the Island of Doctor Moreau and realizing that he is making a compelling case for sort of the the gospel narrative of the uberman and that it's just it's very very interesting very dark um but very very interesting now i'll say all that and i got myself right pumped up about it and i have it all organized in my head why it's awesome uh but then my brother-in-law who probably read more books than i did this year he read it and he's like i don't know i didn't think it was all that hmm I read uh, second book of the year was How Not to Read the Bible by Dan Kimball. It was really good. Um, kind of in the vein of books that try and strip some of your Western sensibilities out and give you a fresh perspective on the Bible. Really, really surface level, really shoots for the layman. Um, I enjoyed it. I didn't love it mostly because I think I've read like three or four of those type of books. And I was kind of on the, like, I kind of got it. So I don't know why I actually read it in the first place. I think I read it because uh, Tim Mackey endorsed it. Um, pretty solid. Anyone who reads it, if you're if you're really solidly reformed, you might not be a fan of some of the conclusions that they come to. On the whole, it was solid. I think misreading scripture with Western eyes is better. Okay, does a better job. Of, My brother-in-law um, has that one. I okay. might just borrow it. <laughs> Phenomenal. Misreading scripture with Western eyes is uh, actually I don't care who you are is pretty much a must-read for every ref- every reformed. Uh, okay. person. it's a phenomenal. That might make it on this year's. Yeah, it's a phenomenal way to like uh, just to get you in the headspace. So 
of, of of like get you in the headspace of taking out some of the Western things we bring to the table when looking at the Bible. But how not to read the Bible you felt had a lower ceiling on how deep it went. Honestly, I couldn't even say. It was good. Okay. Both both are good. Both are good. Cool. Um, yeah, it's fine. Uh, my second one was Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. So this is a shortened down version of his longer book. On It's basically just Randy Alcorn's perspective on eternity and money. This is a huge recommend. Like this has changed the way I've looked at money. And I feel like I need to like reread <laughs> it quarterly almost. Like it's that good as far as reorienting your perspective on money. Jesse has something to say. Michael, I'm so glad you said this because I've been meaning to ask someone if I need to read the whole one because I, I have money, possessions, and eternity and the treasure principle mm. and I don't know which one I should read. So I haven't read the other one so I can't say maybe it's like it blows your mind. I love short books. I find there's a lot of books where there's there's a lot of fat to be honest yeah. where it's just like they spend... Uh, a lot of it like giving four examples of the one thing or a lot of time trying to convince you that their premise is correct. Right. And you know what? For some people, that's probably great. Like some people are probably smarter than me and want someone to <laughs> prove the point. I'm like, I wouldn't have picked up your book if I didn't kind of trust you and like think that you might have something to say. So whenever someone just gets right to the point, I'm usually like, a, I'm a big fan of that. Especially so cool. on a topic like that, where it's like, you don't have to tell me that, that God affects our money and like eternity will affect our money. But now I want you to just like apply it. And honestly, cannot recommend it more as far as just totally changing the idea of laying up treasures and also rewards. Guys, like, that book is not only thin, it's also short and not very wide. It's so stout, it's like, some would say. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Alexa jumped in. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to crush that. <laughs> I'm definitely going to crush that. Thanks, Michael. Yeah. Alexa doesn't know that one. Apparently not. Um, so was that your... You just gave your... Two. That was your two. Okay. So we're back to Owen for third. Um, my third... And again, these are really not in order because I just had to sort of put together Mark of the Horse Lord uh, by Rosemary Sutcliffe. So that is... Because these have all been fiction, but that's the first fiction that was not trying to sell you a nonfiction mm. message, right? Um and it was just, I don't know, have you guys read anything by Rosemary Cyclops? Like Eagle of the Ninth? Nope. Oh, wow. Wow, I thought you have, okay. I, I thought that that was like a common experience for like, for people, young young people who like to read adventure stories. You got to read some <laughs> Rosemary Cyclops, you know? But you have, what have you read, Jesse? Uh, Eagle of the Ninth? E right? Uh, Phenomenal book. Classic homeschooler book. I'm really surprised neither of you have read Jess, it. if you're going to crash my pot, at least pull up right up to the mic and do it properly. I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay, so anyway, Rosemary Sutcliffe, fantastic historical fiction writer. And nice. she really enjoys writing about stuff that was happening during the, during the Roman Empire. Um, and it's just, it's good. It's a good adventure story. Mm. Kind of bloody. Nice. Oh, I got a bloody one coming up. Oh. I didn't like it at all. Uh, three. Three. Fellowship of the Ring. J.R.R. Tolkien. It's great. It's his birthday yesterday. Really? Yeah, yeah. I don't have anything to say. If you don't know about uh, Lord of the Rings, you do. Yeah, like we're, we're, <laughs> I'm just okay. You know what? You Actually, do. that's kind of funny. Like I one time I, we had like the VHS for Fellowship of the Ring, and the little spiel on the back of the VHS cover for what this is about <laughs> was the funniest thing in the world. Like, like my sister and I, I remember like holding it and be looking at the back of it, going, "Guys, what is this? Are they like explaining the story? Frodo ah. and his friends must go to the story." Like, yeah. 
this we isn't <laughs> this isn't home alone you don't put a spiel on here like <laughs> yeah i mean like clearly lord of the rings one of the greatest fantasy elf dwarf stuff dragons lord of the rings rings everything it's great it is the fantasy it is yeah it feels like a strange way to explain it elf dwarf things <laughs> <and> stuff. <laughs> yes thank you jacob for right, your moving on. okay so number three for me you and me forever marriage in light of eternity francis chan and lisa chan Ooh. okay great book also super short i was loving the book the books that just go like super concise <laughs> this is definitely a recommend i read a few books on marriage just uh, prepping. I, I got engaged. Uh, when did we get engaged, Jess? November. November of 2020. So yeah, I was kind of just reading books on marriage, prepping and stuff like that. This would be a big recommend. Awesome. Uh, my number four oh, is, is kind of a silly one. Uh, it's What If by Randall Monroe. I recommended that book too. Oh, did you? Yep. Okay, amazing. So oh, such a good book. Oh, it is amazing. It's actually so fantastic. It's so silly. For anyone who doesn't know, Randall Monroe is the author of the webcomic XKCD. Uh, and he he just does these hypothetical situations where it's like, what if you had, like, could you actually make a, a jetpack that uses like machine guns uh, to propel you up? Yeah. And his answer is yes, by the way. Uh, what if you took a brick wall and <laughs> Jesse's losing it? Uh, what if you? Another one was: What if you took a brick wall and made one of the bricks um, entirely made of the each of the periodic table of the elements? And yes. what would happen? So, like, one of them is just like you know, it it's would sit so there, dangerous. It's like it would sit there and do nothing. The next one, it would also sit there and do nothing. And then as he's working its way down to more volatile, rare elements, like it's, it's just like clouds of gas. It's yeah, like it would, so poisonous. They're interacting with each other in a toxic way. It's yeah. But he's also like, what is he like? An, he was a NASA scientist, right? Yeah. Like he was NASA? actually like. I believe from pretty sure, like he was a rocket scientist. You mean NASA? Sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah, he was yeah. NASA. That's a NASA. 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 I'm, I'm pretty sure there's somewhere, somewhere in the states are saying NASA. Yeah, probably. Anyway, <laughs> but he was, he's actually like a rocket scientist. Yeah, yeah. And he goes through these things so <laughs> carefully and systematically, yep. and gives you like the actual answer, or at least a reasonable, yeah. a reasonable actual answer to really silly questions. Yeah. So it's like like what if there was a hole in the lowest part of the ocean and all the oceans drained? It's just great. Like it's so stupid and funny. Is this the guy who did the the one where it's like, what would win the sun or like 10,000 lines or something like that? I don't think. No, that no, not 10,000 lines, like 10 million. It was like some number of lines that was like it fairly, su- it was a substantial level of lines. <laughs> <laughs> An unexpected level of lines. Was not it, anticipating it, it, that It's level his of kind of thing though, for yeah, sure. Yeah, and, yeah. and the whole time, like he does a webcomic. So like there's these really funny illustrations in it. <laughs> Um, in his like little stick figure illustrations, it's, it's, it's really good. Uh, I did audiobook of that one, so I did. Not I did actually. both. I better, did the audiobook and then I bought the physical oh, book. Look at that! What dedication! Because <laughs> I was like I was going through parts. I'm like, okay, he's obviously got illustrations in here. I got to see this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number four, Two Towers, J.R. Tolkien. Yeah, yeah. Have read. <laughs> I I don't feel the need to go deep into any of these because let's leave time to actually dive into the ones we want. You know. For sure. Uh, number four for me, Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by R.L. Stevenson. Uh, really enjoyed that one, actually. Again, not a short book, but just interesting because I feel like pop culture has like blown that one up enough that people have seen and they th- and they think they know what the story is. But it's one of those classic short books that people should just read. And I, I wrote a report on it, which is kind of why I was reading it. But it was like, this is really enjoyable. Mm, I would actually read your report. Uh, and it, I sure. I have read that. I have not read it. I, I actually do think that 
part of the problem with that book is that people interpret it as just being a sort of another, like almost Victorian era horror story. Mm. When in reality it is, and I assume you got into this in your book report, it's much more interesting dive into the duality of man and the, the good versus evil that exists within us. Right. And it, it is actually quite interesting. There are some moments of him trying to suppress the evil inside of himself that are really interesting. Yeah. Oh, should put that on the list. Number five. Number five. Um, At the Mountains of Madness by H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, yeah. I love the title. Lovecraft. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I, I also, I'm not putting any short stories on this list, obviously. But like, I, I read a few short stories as well as this. I had just never gotten into anything that was actually Lovecraft. And I wanted to read some Lovecraft. So I, I got some short stories and then listened to an audiobook for the Mountains of Madness. Um... Yeah, I can see why people love Lovecraft, but I'm gonna tell you right now, he's not a very good novelist. He's just not. He's very conceptual, which is why he's the king of cosmic horror. Is he's able to like create these ideas of the way the world works and create systems and create beings that are woven into reality. But his storytelling is absolute poop. Nice. Yeah, no character development and poop storytelling. <laughs> I I aspire to one day someone create a title for me that's as awesome as the King of Cosmic Horror. That's dope. It is a pretty dope. T- yeah, it's yeah. pretty dope. Yeah. All right. Uh, five. Walden. Henry David Thoreau. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Hot take. Oh, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> like there's a couple of interesting insights. Like I get it technology is dangerous you should kind of be one with nature and stuff but it's just kind of transcendentalist nonsense i was he he would say things like the worst thing is the academic institutions merely grind men blah 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 blah. and then he's like also one of the greatest things is meditating and reading the iliad and the odyssey that's that's a lot of what i did in the academic institutions they actually really really helped me understand the odyssey and the iliad so it's like he just bouncing back and forth between things that kind of were like, you just rail against something that was kind of designed to help another point he would think is the best. He's a bit of a weirdo. His beard sucked. His beard know. did suck. His beard really sucked. We talked you, about that. Yeah. I introduced you, you to did. the horror you of did. his beard on an earlier podcast. The first one, actually. Yeah. So, look at that. We're on, I think this is 50, 45. 45. Podcast number 45. Mm. We're referencing back to podcast number one. Nice. Um, on the whole, I didn't really learn much. Kind of found it annoying. I honestly barely remember it at this point. It was just everything I was reading was so... Okay, sure. That I none of it stuck with me, so I didn't enjoy it at all. Number five for me, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Orland. That's number six for me. Oh boy. <laughs> I have not, but I have been recommending this book so hard. Oh, and honestly, so I don't want to like over recommend it because I I know a couple people where it was like every person they knew was like, You have to read this book. And then they read it and they're like, Yeah, it was good, but I was expecting like second to the Bible, nothing better than this book. Right. And like I would call this a prayer book. Like this is just a made up definition by me right now, but like a book that needs to be prayed through. Okay. And if you, I don't know, sometimes if I have a decent, like an afternoon off up North, I'll just crush through however much I can in that time. That is not how you should consume gentle and lowly. It's one chapter at a time. If you hit something that strikes you pause, think about it. And I know a lot of authors would be like, I want you to read my book that way. But I think that's where this one really comes out because it's digging into what's the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. 
hmm. and you you don't just that's not an intellectual thing that's a heart thing that needs to right. hit you and you gotta process it over and, time exactly and yeah, process yeah. It. so this one if like this may be my number one book recommendation like ever Whoa. oh yeah. i even listened to a podcast i can't remember what it was on maybe a crossway mm. with dane orland talking about his book <laughs> i still haven't read the book <laughs> I, like, I don't want to, like, overemphasize it like that, but I feel like this is the kind of book I'd give to an unbeliever. I could give to, like, oh. a pastor. I could give to a layperson. That's this actually could, a pretty big thing right there. It's like it's got that versatility. That's why it's probably my, the huh. highest one. It hasn't impacted me as much as other ones have, but most books that have impacted me, I couldn't just be like, I'll give it to, like, five totally different people. Huh. So, big recommend on that one. Very cool. Uh, number six for me. The Club of Queer Trades by G.K. Chesterton. Uh, that is fiction. I listened to the audiobook. Um, it's 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 a good book. It's it's. Have, have you guys read any of G.K. Chesterton's fiction? Yeah, yeah. The Man Who Is Thursday. Man Who Is Thursday. It's kind of weird. It is weird. Um, I I I have said, and I I hold, stand by. I may have said this too many times now, but. <laughs> G.K. Chesterton writes fiction like a man who has never read fiction. He just heard someone explain what it is. And like... <laughs> Can you get more savage to like... That is No, but like he's actually... I, I love reading his fiction because it's so... Like that's not how we do fiction, man. Nobody's writing fiction like that. Like, nope. Where did you learn how to write fiction? That's not what fiction is. You're, you're, you're making up your own rules. You're stopping to go on these weird sidebars. You're making things both allegorical but literal your characters change without any kind of reason whatsoever like this is so basically this is revelation chaos <laughs> like and but at the same time he's one of the most profound and interesting writers of the 20th century and his fiction <coughs> is also profound and interesting uh and the club of queer trades is no exception it's just a, it, the club of queer trades and he's using that in the very old sense of the word queer just so that we can state the obvious here um is a story about these guys and they've just it, it's all these like short stories about these guys who have jobs where this literally they had to invent their own job to be part of the club and they couldn't it couldn't be some like extension of something they couldn't be like yeah a, a banker but for certain people no it's like you've got to invent an entirely new profession my goodness yeah oh, why am i not videoing this this would be hilarious um Book number six for me was Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Awesome book. Jamichael said Woot. everything. Woot. Yeah, good. I listened to an audiobook. Should not have listened to it as an audiobook. I should have done what Jamike said and prayed through it, but that's me. Moving on. Getting over. This is number six for me, Marriage and the Mystery of the Gospel, uh, Ray Ortland. Solid book. To be honest, I don't remember anything about it. I just remember it being like... Wait, is that guy got the same last name as the first guy? Yes. I don't know if they're brothers or if it's father, but there's three people in the family. So, oh yeah. So, his brother writes as well. Dane Orland's brother, I believe. I could be wrong. Double check me on this. But there's three different Orlands who write books. And I think Dane is getting the medal for being the most popular. At the moment. Yeah. At the moment. Okay. He's rolling in though. Fantastic. Do you have any other further comments on that book? I've not read that Ortland either. Uh, I remember liking it again, short book. Um, okay. I think it was, it wasn't practical stuff for marriage. It was more like, what's the theology of marriage as an undergirding kind of walking into it. So that's why it's like, if you, you know, if you felt like you didn't know a lot of like, what does the Bible say about marriage, uh, in light of the gospel, 
huge recommend then. But it, like, if you feel like you've you've read stuff on that or you've grown up hearing it in sermons, maybe a good book, but not like a huge practical book. So okay. Uh, number seven for me was Ashenden or the British Agent by W. Somerset Maugham. Hmm. Uh, it's a good book. Uh, it's funny. I'd read that book when I was a teenager, like probably like twelve or thirteen or something like that. And I we had it around the house, and I couldn't remember what the title was or who the author was. But I suddenly earlier this year was like, "What was that book that we had as we were kids?" And I, I you know put it on the family chat, asked my sister, and we were trying to like piece it together. We finally figured out what the book was. And then I read it as an adult, and I was like, "Oh." That was weirder than I remembered. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's just, W. Somerset Maugham, was a, he was a fiction writer in the early 20th mm. century, and he was apparently a British spy at one point. So his, that's definitely what he claimed. His spy literature is what he's best known for. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, seven, Return of the King. Great. Who was that by? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to move on from that. Um, I'm going to pair the next two because they're just... Not exactly a package deal, but anyways. Uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey, both by Homer, or debates on if it's by Homer. but <laughs> Debates on authorship, obviously. Anyways, I'm going to go with Homer or Homeric writers. But these are good. I think if you just read them, to be honest, I feel like most people would be like, yeah. yeah, not impressed. Like, why is this such an awesome book? But the amount of classes I've taken on it, or parts of classes that have focused on it have opened my eyes to like, this is a really, these are both really good works. Man. Yes. I wish that was said more because I've read, I think I've read both about three times now uh, for various courses, mostly at school. Cause I did a minor in classics and the people are like, Oh, the Iliad, the Odyssey, Oh, what wonderful classic, great book. Don't read them alone. Like go find either some sort of guide, some sort of YouTube lecture series, something to really dive you into the Homeric world and into like the rich, rich themes that he's playing with. Um, and, and like they're really like the stuff, like the, mo especially in the Odyssey, the motif of women playing certain roles all throughout the story. Like there is so much going on that you just don't get cause it's old timey wimey language and it's really hard to like process that let alone the themes underneath it which is part of why saying that it may not have been homer quote-unquote who who authored these directly is actually it's not even dissing the book it, it's there's the homeric tradition which is itself really really interesting so over time these ideas got more and more sophisticated i would also argue there's aside from god writing the bible and not divinely inspiring these books, there is an interesting parallel to these both being really old manuscripts. Right. Because like, I feel like reading the Odyssey and the Iliad without any context or background is going to be kind of like reading the Bible for the first time without any context or background. Hmm. It's going to be weird and like a strange way of saying things. Um, yeah, but a definitely big recommend. Now you're going to have to be one ahead of us for the rest of it. So when we say eight, you say nine. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Speaking of which, eight. I think it's eight. We're on eight. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Sparrow gets going. <laughs> oh. Owen would say. Yeah, what's, with, what's with this, Owen? Like, 
Owen wins the prize for the coolest titles. So far, I've got like these dumb one-liners, and Owen's got like the sparrow and the <laughs> uh, marriage and God stuff or something, and then Owen like <laughs> the Christmas tree which caught a fire and spun or something like that. Uh, the sparrow gets going by Gun. The, the, the author of this is is actually possibly better than the title. His name is Gunby Haddith. Uh, <laughs> So Gundy, okay, like again, this is the one that was like a throwback. I, at one point early this year, it was probably January or February. I was like, there's a couple of nostalgic books from my childhood that I'm like, I want these books because I remember them when I was a kid. And um, there was this book I read called Sparrow in Search of Expulsion, and we owned this book when I was a kid, and it was a crazy, it was, you know, like schoolboy novels, like public school novels with like Kipling's books, you know, yeah. like Hardy Boys, kind of. No, Hardy Boys is different, right? So okay. public school novels are about boys who lived in boarding schools Ooh. in England. And they had like an entire culture. And there were novels that just pivoted around the very weird um, culture of public school, which was public school was not what we would call public school today. It was boarding schools. Um, and Gunby Haddith was a famous public school novelist. Uh, and he wrote a series called, about this character named... Uh, Thomas Whitcomb Sparrow, who was a boy in public school who wanted to get expelled. Um, and it's, like, these books are crazy. The, the boys are constantly beating each other and the masters are constantly beating the boys. And like, it's, it's like, they're so brutal. The environment in these public, these boarding schools mm. was so bizarre. You had like hundreds of 11 to 18 year old dudes with some headmasters, no parents involved whatsoever. And they literally it was chaos anyway um but this one was just a sequel to it apparently the book that was from my childhood sparrow in search of explosion now is obscenely rare and i don't know what happened to that book but it'd probably be mm. worth something if we hadn't i don't know thrown it out i don't know where it is anyway cool yeah recommend uh if you can get your hands on it cool it, it's 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 it is what it's a kid's book gotcha yeah gotcha beyond order jordan peterson Mm, see there now we're flexing there we go keep going <laughs> <laughs> not as good as his first i don't know if it's not as good as his first book or maybe because i'm just i I'm, i basically can predict what jordan peterson's about to say from having listened to him for years and years and years so i kind of just know what he's up to um it was good a little more philosophical um which is uh, maybe peterson's probably my least favorite part about when peterson goes which i guess is a lot of what he does i don't know it was good. Peterson's great. I absolutely love Peterson. Um, Beyond Order was a good book. His part on marriage, he had some thoughts on marriage and relationship that were extremely insightful from a real clinical point of view that I thought was just like absolutely fascinating. So I would just go back and reread that chapter on marriage. Um, and for anyone, yeah, Beyond Order is his second book, Companion to 12 Rules. Really like that book. I actually, that's number 14 for me. So I enjoyed that book as well. Uh, number nine for me, Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad. Have either of you guys read that book? No. So this is a classic. I think sometimes the schools will study it as well. I also had to write a book report on this one. And this was one where as I was reading it, I was like, mm, this is just like cultural racism stuff. Also Victorian area. Like, but as I started writing, it forced me to dig into the book and we don't really have time to like actually get into all of it, but this one I would recommend. But I feel like again, once off reading it, you're gonna like, meh, kind of subpar, a little weird, but interesting book, huh? It's interesting that we're gonna get into this because when we get into the discussion of uh, East of Eden, 
it's interesting because I think East of Eden is of the caliber of a lot of these classic books, but it's so accessible. Um, but we'll get there because I reread East of Eden for the second time a bit later on. Oh, so yeah, and it, it's better the second time. There so you go. Good. Uh, continue. Yeah. Uh, number nine for me, uh, Masquerade by Terry Pratchett. It's just Terry Pratchett. That's my. Oh, I guess I have read two fantasy books then, because that would be fantasy, I guess. Um, yeah, Terry Pratchett is like the Douglas Adams of fantasy. Nice. Yeah. So, so weird. So so he's weird, but he's also really funny. Yeah. He works off a lot of tropes from his genre. Yeah. Um, and it's so it's it's good. It's good. Uh, I was surprised he was the only Terry Pratchett. I have read a, a bunch of Terry Pratchett. Okay. My wife has with fantasy too, eh? Because Pardon? like the thing about uh, somehow like sci-fi kind of fits for. Hitchhiker's Guide, because it's so weird. Hmm. But I, I have a hard time conceptualizing what fantasy would be in that kind of really whimsical nonsense way. Then read Terry Pratchett. All right. I'm, my actually, wife has like every book he ever wrote. I actually would really like to do that because I, I just she, thoroughly she, My wife it. has a bookcase in our bedroom devoted just to the writings of Terry Pratchett. Holla. Wow. I'm not even kidding. All right. All right. So <laughs> let's get into let's get into this now. Uh, we'll, we'll have a big old discussion about Maybe all three, and then keep going. Uh, Out of Silent Planet, C.S. Lewis. Ooh. Ooh. We were all, I, I read all of those this year. Yeah, so I feel like we'll have uh, that And then discussion. I recommended that you need to read all of those and this I year. And I read the first two. I didn't read them. Oh, my goodness. I'm sorry. Come on, that's I'm sorry. Yeah, so I read the first two. Out of Silent John Planet. John Michael, have you read those? I have only read the first one, and I read it like two years ago. It's good stuff. Owen's, Owen, for anyone who can't see, so everyone, he looks shook right now. I only he read them for guffawed. the first time this year. I, I just find it hard to believe that you guys did not read all of them when you went to start it. Because when I, I started the first one, I'm like, I, I just kept chugging until I was all the way through the third. So there's periods in my life where I'm for, and this, I read this, these kind of getting about in the summer. No, it was with school. Where literally sitting down to read was not an option. Right. I didn't have time. I would come home, get stuff done, and then collapse and then wake up. But driving, bits and plates, like getting between places I could read or listen to audiobooks. So for me, because I was doing paper, I didn't have the time to sit down and, and chuck one out. That's true because you're borrowing them from me in paper form. Yeah. I was listening to them in audiobook form. Okay, interesting. Even so, though I own the paper copies, I actually, yeah. well, my wife owns the paper copies. That's, yeah. Otherwise, I have to admit that I bought these books, never read them, and then bought audiobooks <laughs> for them. Anyway. <laughs> so, uh, and, Okay, such a good trilogy. Mm, so you wouldn't know, but sure. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Oh, truth hurts. Um, so, from at least from what I know, that the trilogy circle went red there. <laughs> I know, I know, I did. Um, he's pointing to the to the level monitors on my uh, focus right, Scarlet. Um, of what I know of the trilogy namely about 66%. Maybe 68. I read a first part of the... Of, oh, of okay. 66.6%. <laughs> oh, okay, can we, can we all agree? I'm not going to go there. Um, what we can... The second book was amazing and the best of the three. Yeah? They were all so meaningfully distinct from one another. That's so true. Like... It's almost apples and oranges and bananas. Like it's it's really not like which one of these three was the best. Like Lord of the Rings, I'd be like, I mean, yeah, the, the second one, the yeah. second one, right? Two yeah. Towers, thank you, it's the best. gets me pumped right up. Yeah. But with these three, it's like they're they're almost in different genres. Mm. Like they're really distinct from each other. Yeah, I agree. But I feel like really good about saying that the second one is better than the first one by a huge margin. 
I'm going to save my thoughts on it until I get to that point in my list. All right, all right. Get, so, get, get some Jake's thoughts then out. I'll just say, I just want to kind of talk about them both because I, I do want to kind of be somewhat mindful of time so this isn't four hours instead of three. Mm. Um, but I I really like the second one. Just It just... it It's C.S. Lewis. You know what you're getting into. It puts you in such a weird place of reconceptualizing creation and and sin and temptation and it's 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 allegorical but it's it's just it's a lot and it's a very terrifying book in many respects um yes lewis does what he does really well which is cloak a lot of very terrifying unorthodox thoughts and ideas inside a brilliant narrative because he's not trying to claim that what he's saying is like how it actually happened or anything like that no no by any means but he just takes you away like it he just i'm stumbling over my words he communicates an alternate reality in a way that makes you think about the reality that did go down yeah very well yep and i i really enjoyed that it's really really good cool so number 10 for me is after you believe by nt Wright. so this is a big recommend from jake uh, i think i've read it like right after you i might maybe even start at the same time yeah because my the 10th book on my list is after you believe by nt Wright. Nice. Um, loved it. Would recommend. Have not it's read. Good. What is it about? Okay, so uh, we, we can go back and forth on this. I loved this book. This is one of the best books on Christian ethics I've ever read. It's because it's not even like ethics like in a philosophical sense. It's very, very practical. What does it look like to develop virtue and character in the Christian life? And what does that even mean to develop or, or have those. And, and he goes into like this, these ideas of like how things can become practiced, but instinctual. And he walks through the fruits of the spirit and it's a really refreshing book. And it just, it really shaped how I think, cause he, he has this analogy of a pilot and a pilot. If the, if there's going in a crash, a pilot's doing everything he's doing instinctively. He's just, he's grabbing knobs. He's pulling things. He's not thinking about this. He's not working through what he should do. He's doing it. But he got to that plate of place of instinctive, and he actually walks through a real example of this. He he, the pilot gets to a place of instinctive skill and knowledge because of working at practicing at things that are, that are unnatural to make them become natural. And there's an element in Christian character that is like that too, and just character development in general. Really, 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 I highly recommend this book. I really enjoyed it. I think that the character part was what has like I, I distinctly remember this book because it's changed how I just think about what am I pursuing overall mm. because I mean godliness yes of course but what like what's another way of describing godliness or even just like as a word godly a godly person could mean so many things which is great but when you say a person of character that's that speaks to me in a far like deeper level, or at least it, it hits me in a different way. And he is articulating throughout the book. What you want to pursue is Christian character as, as far as like virtue. So big recommend on that one, especially like the title itself. After you believe it would like gives it away that this is a great book to give someone who's like, okay, I'm a Christian now. What does that mean? I was going to say the title actually makes what you're saying beautiful because mm. it's like the, the next step almost, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's actually very cool. Huh. All right. Um, my turn. Uh, the next book was a C.S. Lewis, a, a Grief Observed. 
Um, actually, no, you know, I got this. I have this one. I listened the wrong way. I, I, I read The Problem of Pain, and then right afterwards, I read A Grief Observed. Jeez. And I would actually recommend that. Sorry, so the next one on my list is going to be The Problem of Pain. And it's just basically him addressing the, the larger philosophical criticism of Christianity, uh, that Christianity fails to address the existence of pain. Um, and in fact, the existence of pain should in some way disprove Christianity uh, due to the presence of a benevolent God. So he, he makes some effort at, in the problem of pain of going out into that and discussing pain, discussing how it would fit into this universe and mm. how we even understand it. Um, and the fact that we only understand it really when we understand it as Christians, yeah. right? Which is very interesting. But then a grief observed is, I, I'm just sorry, I'm just putting them together. They That's are fine. they are kind of a two. That's fine, because the next one, I'm, I'm bumping up one too, so we're actually going to all skip at this one, which is cool. Cool. Um, have you guys read either of these, by the way? Yeah. Yeah, I have. I read a grief observed, but not the other one. Yeah, I also only read a grief observed, but problem of pain is on my list this year. And were you saying you recommend reading, what what order were you saying you recommend reading? The Problem of Pain, the order in which I read them was The Problem of Pain followed by The Grief, uh, grief Observed. And the reason I would recommend that is that it's actually the order in which he wrote them as well. Mm. Uh, and uh. he even references The Problem of Pain in A Grief Observed and says like, this is this has expanded his thoughts on it. So you're watching him, because in The Grief Observed, he's basically keeping notes. It's almost like a diary yeah. as he's watching his wife die. And it's, it's totally real, right? It's, it's not... This is not one of his fictions. His wife is dying and he's processing it in like almost like a feelings journal, if you will. And you're watching this man like question everything and being angry at God mm. and, and, and trying to understand the, the pain he's experiencing. And it's, it's really like you're, you're almost crying for him as you're going through this book. And it's, you know, 60-year-old notes from a, a man who's watching his wife die. And it, it definitely helps you to think about what you just read in The Problem of Pain. Mm. Would you recommend... Which ones would you recommend to someone who's going through something and trying to process pain? Or would you recommend them to someone processing pain? <laughs> See, I don't know if I'm in that. I, I don't know if I would feel comfortable just like throwing a book recommendation at someone processing pain. But Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah big question. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time, uh, I don't always know that the relatable is what helps you come out of where you are. And mm. so... I think that the problem of pain might actually be a better recommendation, although perhaps I wouldn't. It's, it's so philosophical. You it it is. That, like I, I just yeah. don't know that either of them is the book I recommend. No, dude, a grief observed is so sad. Oh man, and it's it is. This kid, this is gonna sound really arrogant, but it's just when he when I was reading that, I was like, I've written a lot like this. Like this feels exactly like me reading my journals, hmm. and he just. Is just using words to just like an axe, just articulate, 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 get out, get out, think, 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 as he's just kind of spewing what's going on in him out onto the page. Right, because like one page will say one thing, the next page will say something that seems contradictory, but you know the man is yeah. just emoting almost, yeah. right? And, like he and he'll reference that. Like he'll he ended he ended a, a chapter, I think, with being like kind of ripping apart Calvinism a little bit. Yeah. And then he kind of ends and then he starts the next chapter being like, okay. I don't think I believe what I wrote just there. Yep. Well, let me Literally, talk, let me yeah. talk about that. Yeah. And he, and he just like, he, it's a very stream of consciousness and that makes it really intense to read because if you've ever been through that, 
and you've been through that and you've written down stuff, you know what it's like because you can read that back as directly coming from you. It's really hard. It's really emotional. Yeah. It's almost like there's a lot of conductivity between his pain and your experience of it. Um, I'm going to stop crashing your podcast and leave now. I'm on my way out. But one one last question uh, regarding this book. I, I'm a big, I'm team audiobook. I know we're kind of a little bit split here or whatever, but uh, I'm generally team audiobook, but I sometimes find with like more philosophical things, it's good for me to be able to pause more conveniently. Mm. What is the three of y'all's thoughts on whether or not I should read um, Problem of Pain as an audiobook or a physical copy? Both physical. Both should be physical? Yeah. I've already read, well, I might reread, uh, I might reread or Grief Observed afterwards maybe, but. I have no thoughts. I did both as audio. It it didn't seem to distance me from it. Although sure. I do know what you mean that sometimes it's like, okay, this has got to be physical. Yeah. Right. I've got to read this in a, in a hard copy. I usually find that for harder things to follow. It's hard to read emotionally, but it's not actually hard to follow, mm. which is the big thing for mm. me with audiobooks. Cool. Yeah. All right. Sorry, so you, you said audiobooks then? Yeah. Okay. Like, like you probably get as much out of it, if not more, by yeah. going physical, but I didn't feel limited by audio. Okay. Thanks, guys. Um, cool. Have a great rest of your day. Jesse out. Miss you already, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, gaining by losing. Uh, sorry, the next one on my list was, a- was After You Believe, because I, I think I finished it like just before, just after you did. Um, so then I'll just go to the next one, which puts, I think, all of us at 11, if you're combining those two. Uh, Gaining by Losing by J.D. Greer. I recommend it, or I read it because you recommend, Jem, you recommended that to me. Um, really good. It's just, it's uh, J.D. Greer's basically treatise on churches and church planting and church structure. It was really good. I, I don't remember it very well, so Jem, you have some probably some thoughts on it. Uh, I would, like, just a general overview of what the book is about. Um it's just the basic idea. I mean, he talks about tons of stuff, but the basic idea that in a church, he's they've chosen to structure it that they give away their best people. And by give away, I mean, instead of being like, oh, well, we're really big now. Uh, what are we going to do? Well, I guess we'll send some of our people off to start another church. They've made it a goal to plant a thousand churches f- out of their church. And th- their strategy for doing that is by is the is the title of the book gaining by losing and and they view the gaining in the sense of eternal souls and you know maturity and reaching more people so instead of sending like you know you're sending off the chaff so to speak uh, their strategy is to send off their best people which he, he describes as like it's it's kind of like trimming it hurts like trimming a tree or something like that it can hurt it can like look bad it can be all these things but in the end it's better for your church and kind of outside of the analogy you begin to plant more and more churches so i would hugely recommend it. it's a very easy huh. read huh. one of those sort of counterintuitive truths right exactly yeah beautiful um i'm just gonna pair these i think uh i've got goblet of fire the order of phoenix half blood prince jk rowling I also like jumped midway into the Harry Potter series. Uh, actually, listened to these on my honeymoon. Oh, so, yeah, that very romantic. Would recommend. It's kind of a fun thing to do. Anyways, I'm gonna leave it at that. <laughs> uh, never mind. Um, cool. Owen, but do you do you have no comments on those books? Get the Harry Potter. They're amazing. I've yeah. never read any Harry Potter. Oh. oh, Kate. So I'm sitting beside two Harry Potter haters. 
Hey, what in the heck? That's not true. I bugged I don't you hate it at for all. years I, to read this series, and you were like, fine, it's a cultural book, I'll read it, fine. And then you read them, and it was like, these are amazing. I was like, yeah, aka why there's like Potter more, and like there's entire fan pages. I'll get into this now. Um, I really liked Harry Potter. I didn't love it. I was I really enjoyed them. They were good. They were, Pure they were solid. But like they weren't like they didn't blow my socks off. The last book was phenomenal. Like they're great pieces of fiction. As a as as a uh, character developer person, uh, J.K. Rowling phenomenal. World oh. building, meh. Okay, like she's like the stuff just like. Y'all, okay, you got these spells. Like, you can, like, I've heard knock this someone's criticism. heads off, but they're like, oh, no, Tickliortis. So now they're the, the this person who's seeking to kill you is now getting tickled. It's like, dude, kill him. It's fine. Get over yourself. Kill the people who are actively trying to kill every, like, all of you and everything you love and destroy the world. It's not hard. So it's like, like, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I kind of, I found myself running into, very consistently running into plot details with the way she constructed her world. There were ways to fix the problems that are just like, you you can do something about this. Whereas, uh, like a book like, uh, I didn't read them this year, but uh, Aragon, Eldest, Brissinger, that series, that fantasy series. I don't remember what the name yeah. of the series uh, Aragon, Eldest, Brissinger, Inheritance. Those, they're the four massive tomes. Airtight wor- world Christopher building. Christopher Paolini. Yeah. Yeah. Airtight world building. Like the co- internally the, consistent, internally the 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 problems that he gets into by the end of the book are so deeply moving and complex because you understand that like philosophically, morally, ethically, by the way, by the rules of magic, the rules of the way he constructed his world, that's how Aragorn gets there, and it's heartbreaking because you understand why it's like that. And I just had times in like the middle of a cave or like where there's some crazy things going on. I'm like, can you just invent a spell to fix that? Like, I don't know. Or like you can't kill him for what reason or whatever. Yeah. In that way, I agree. There's more loopholes in Harry Potter, but <laughs> what Aragon and the inheritance cycle misses, I think is what Harry Potter does really, really well. Like they're both great fantasy books. Inheritance cycle has internal consistency and it's, you know, it, it works on some really interesting questions but harry potter are just those are relatable characters and you understand how following him growing up through the years and when you finally get to book seven it's just it's mind-blowing i would i'd say the first few for owen honestly those ones like good they're kids books by the time you get to i think around goblet of fire that's where it really takes a specific turn of like now we're serious and it's still a kid's book but now we're getting into your best friend getting killed. So the books kind of grow up like with you as you yeah. go. Exactly. Okay, interesting. But and you say that makes them more relatable. Uh, yes. I okay. just think as as they go farther along, they get more and more. Interesting. Have you considered the possibility that Jacob finds being a dragon riding god being very relatable? <laughs> I have considered that fact. <laughs> really, I think this is pointing to Jacob's who. <laughs> this is Jacob's hubris. He sees him as a dragon god. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this podcast's conversation. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed it, consider subscribing and sharing and all that jazz. It's immensely helpful. I'm all about having meaningful, interesting conversations. So if you know of someone I should talk to, hit me up on Instagram at itsthevalk. Have a good one, guys.